Thanks, Tim and all. Well, we are uh, back in Revelation. This is the fourth week. You want to put that slide up? Not that one. I have to coach Beth today. She's on it, though. Last chapter in the book that we call the Bible, and this is uh, a revelation, and we're going to look at chapter 5 today, not verses 1 to 14 as on the screen, but five chapter, chapter 5 verses 1 to 13. Sorry. And there are also a couple of mistakes on the board in your bulletin this morning, and so I could blame them. They're typos. I could blame them on my secretary, but I don't have a secretary. <laughs> So I'll take credit for all of them, okay? So as you see them, don't, don't point fingers at me. I know they're there. Okay, we are uh, running through this uh, as assigned, and before we get to the text itself, I want you to use your imagination a little bit. Uh, how well do we know somebody? Uh, someone is misspelled up there, by the way. I know that part. Uh, you all know people... And you probably know some people better than other people. But very few of us know everything there is to know about someone. That would be pretty remote. Maybe somebody that you've been around for a long, long time, you think you know everything there is to know about them. But just imagine this for a little bit, and I'll introduce you to a couple of people that I know. First one is Alice. This is Alice. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about Alice. I know Alice very well. Uh, you don't know her at all. Uh, Alice uh, was a school teacher for over 40 years. She taught first grade, devoted to first grade kids. Hard to imagine how anybody could do that for 40-some years. Uh, she uh, taught piano lessons. She was a gifted pianist, and she taught uh, children piano lessons. Uh, she was... Uh, superintendent of the Sunday school in the church that she attended. She was always involved in the lives of kids. And most of you would say, okay, so now we know a little bit about Alice. And I, and I know a lot more about Alice than that. Uh, but what you probably don't know, and what I didn't know for a long time, was that when Alice was in her 60s, already retired from teaching, the school system in which she had been employed went on strike. And they were on strike for weeks. And they called back everybody they could to have them come and, and teach the kids. And this woman, in her 60s, crossed the picket line and went into the school to teach kids. And when I heard that, I couldn't believe that about my mother. <laughs> couldn't believe she did that. I didn't know that part of her. Okay, so here's another person. This is uh, Wendell. I actually met Wendell when I pastored the first Chinese Church of Christ in Honolulu, Hawaii. And Wendell was the associate pastor. He was in his uh, early 80s during that time, and we became good friends. Uh, I was only there for a year, but he was a, a great partner to have in ministry. Just a really neat guy. For those of you who don't know about Wendell, I'll tell you a little bit. He was the station manager at Moody uh, Chicago from 1920 to 1940. He, he was known as Mr. Moody, okay? not because of his mood, but because of his uh, work. He is a guy that wrote numerous hymns that are in lots of uh, hymnals that are all over the country still today. Uh, I counted 42 of them, but here's just a couple of names. All my sins are gone. There's joy in following Jesus and, and many, many more. 
Now, the amazing thing is, even though I only spent a year with uh, Wendell, I, I thought I knew him pretty well, but Barb and I had gone back to Hawaii for a visit after we had left there, and we had lunch, and that's a picture of us having lunch with Wendell. And it was uh, during this lunch that we found out something about Wendell we couldn't imagine. When asked what he'd like to drink for lunch, he said, I'll have a Coke with some rum in it. What? What? Wendell is having a Coke with rum in it? Not my Wendell. He said, oh, I've been doing this for years. That's how I stay well. He was about 86 then. So just for whatever. See, all your people that you know, you don't know everything about them. Okay, one more. This is uh, Barbara. Uh, some of you know about Barbara. That's a picture of my wife many years ago, 1956. She didn't look exactly the same. We've been married now almost 60 years. So I know her very well, and many of you know her very well. So that, that's a picture of Barbara back in the 50s. Actually, we were already married when that picture was taken. Now, you might recognize the person that is on her right. Uh, from your vantage point, uh, looking at the left. And some of you who are old enough would say, Oh, I know who that is. That's the President of the United States, Dwight D. Eisenhower. He was President from 1953 to 1961. What is Barbara doing next to the President of the United States? I didn't know that Barbara had this knowledge of the President of the United States. Most of you didn't know that. Unless you've been to our house and seen that picture, you didn't know this, did you? But there it is, living proof. She had won a contest. She and some, a couple of other friends had gone to the White House, had gone to the uh, Oval Office, and she actually has a scarf that the President allowed her to take from the drawer of the uh, White House desk. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing what we don't know about people? Well, I want to talk about one other person about which we think we know an awful lot, and that is Jesus. This is often how we think of Jesus. As a matter of fact, in our culture, now not in every culture, but in our culture, if you show a picture of, like this to any kind of a kid that's had any relationship whatsoever to the church, the child will immediately say, oh, that's a picture of Jesus. Nobody knows what Jesus looked like. We don't have any pictures of Jesus. We're, this is just in our mind. We think this is what Jesus looked like. And we have some knowledge and understanding of Jesus. Jesus is a, a loving person. Jesus is a person that is caring. And, and this is a picture that's familiar to us. But is this picture enough to tell us who Jesus really is? On a January 7th, many years ago, I was in Tonala, Mexico. Uh, I was there because the church I was with was working with a, with a church in Tonala. Tonala is about, I don't know, 15 miles from Guadalajara, Mexico. And I happened to be in the center, the center of uh, Tonala in the square in Tonala, and something very unusual took place that I did not understand. Uh, a truck drove up to where they had had the manger scene in the center of the city square. And just about the time the truck drove up, a group of children came, a big group of children. It looked like they let the school out. And the school came, and they got in a line, and I wanted to see what was happening here, so I went over to watch what was taking place, and they picked up, out of the creche, out of the manger scene, the baby doll of Jesus. 
And they held the baby doll of Jesus, and each one of the school children came along and kissed the baby doll of Jesus, and they received a gift. And when they were all finished, they put the baby doll of Jesus in the truck and drove it away for next year to be put away and come out again for the Christmas display. And I thought, wow, I hope that's not all they know about Jesus. That is a part of Jesus. That is important to know something about his birth. But that's not really understanding all that Jesus is. So today, we're going to look and see what we know about Jesus. Maybe something different. Quick review. Uh, I can't go back and review all of this, but chapter 1, we found out why John wrote this thing called the Revelation. He wrote it because he wants to reveal who Jesus Christ is. This is not a book about judgments on the earth. They may be there, but this is a book about revealing who Jesus really is. And then we looked at this uh, chapter 2 and 3, which had uh, some interaction with the seven churches in Asia Minor, and we got a lesson from that that we were to be overcomers of God. We were God's people who were to overcome all that was around us. And then last time in chapter 4, John takes us in this vision into the throne room of God. And he describes for us what it was like. He, the people he saw in the throne room as best as he could describe it and uh, saw the lights and the thunders and the lightnings and the colors. He, he describes everything he described. That's where we left off. Now, we're in the throne room when we get to chapter 5, verse 1. And something happens in the throne room of God and John wants to explain to us what he saw. Again, this is something that he had never seen before. This is something that none of us have ever seen. So he's doing it the best he can, and we're trying to understand what all this means. What happens is someone appears with a scroll. And chapter 5, verse 1 says this, And I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll within and on the back sealed with seven seals. Now, first of all, we're not used to having scrolls written on parchment and sealed with wax seals. That's not the way we do books anymore. But this is uh, understandable to John, who sees a piece of writing, and it's sealed. And uh, this is going to become a series of seven events on the earth. Now, I've got to take a little parenthesis here because we're not going to cover this. These are assigned texts that we're following, and next week when we finish up at least my part of Revelation, we're going to be way, way, way past this. So let me just bring you this far. If you don't understand all this, it's fine. Listen closely. Maybe it'll help. Okay? There are seven seals that are going to be identified. We're not going to read about them, but there are seven seals. There are the seven seals. The first four seals are called four horsemen there in Revelation chapter 6. We're not, we're not going to read that today, and we're not going to read it next week. Let me tell you what the sixth seal says. This is chapter 6, verse 15. And the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Chapter 6, verse 16 says, Calling on the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And verse 17, For the great day of their wrath has come, and who 
can stand. Pretty difficult time. Something's going on on the earth. Something that is depriving people of peace and safety. There is war. There are events taking place that relate to these seals. The seventh seal of those seven is not opened until you get to chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 1, this is what it says. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for half an hour. Now, nobody really knows why there was silence in heaven for half an hour. Some people say, well, they were just happy that these events on earth had ended. I don't think so. I think this is the silence of shock. Because after the seventh seal is open, that's when it is revealed that there will be seven more events on earth. This time they are called the events of the trumpets. And they're in chapters 8 and chapter 9. Next week, we're going to look at the fifth trumpet. And not only that, but after the trumpets, there are seven more things, events on earth that take place. They are called the bowls or the vile events of Revelation chapter 16. So all of this is tied in with the big question about the seven seals on that parchment. Okay, for the parentheses, now let's go back to the text. Here's the question. Who is going to open this scroll with the seven seals? Chapter 5, verse 2. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? Now, remember where we are. We're in the throne room of God. There are all kinds of creatures there. We'll see a couple of them. We met most of them last week and defined who they were. We're not going to do that again. But the question goes out, who is going to open up these seals that begin these events on the earth? And the answer to John's question and the question in the throne room was verse 3. No one in heaven or earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look at it. In other words, there was nobody in heaven who could open these scrolls and begin what these events are to be on the earth. Now, John has an emotional reaction to this. In verse 4, he says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. So, John, why are you weeping? You're in the heavenly scene. Well, I'm weeping because some, there's a breakdown here somewhere. Nobody's able to open the seals on the scroll. Who's able to do this? Nobody, nobody's, nobody's worthy. Nobody can do this. And this is a personal interest to him. This is a man who saw Jesus Christ crucified. This is a man who saw Jerusalem destroyed in 70 A.D. This is a man who saw loved ones and friends murdered, run away, persecuted for years. This is a man who has struggled with the realities on the earth for some time now. And he wants to know, why is no one worthy to open the seals that begin the events on earth that will ultimately bring all of this to an end? Well, someone is identified. Chapter 5, verse 5. One of the elders, and there are 24 of them, we're not going into who they are. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, 
and the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. This is merely a statement that he would understand from his Jewish history. This is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah is the tribe of one of the twelve, out of which was to come the Messiah, and out of which came King David, the great king of Israel. This is of the family of Jesse, the root of David. Uh, David's basically family, the family of Jesse. All of this, again, a definition of where the Messiah would come from, who would be the one who would rule forever. And then, having said this, that this Yeshua the Messiah, this Messiah is worthy to open the scroll, there appears a lamb, chapter 5, verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures, we met them before in chapter 4, and among the elders, the 24 of them, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. It had seven horns with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now that's a, a weird symbol to say the least. I don't know if that's what it looked like, that's what he saw. I told you before I sort of hesitate getting these slides from online. But this is what he describes, a lamb with these eyes, a lamb who was slain. Who is the lamb? John, who wrote this book, knows very well who the lamb is. John also wrote the Gospel of John, and in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29, he relays to us what happened when another John, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him. John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day he, John the Baptizer, saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There is no question in John's mind who wrote this book that the Lamb is Jesus, that the Lamb is the David to come, that the Lamb is from the tribe of Judah, that the Lamb is from the root of Jesse. He is in the lineage of King David. Chapter 5, verse 7, he takes the scroll. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Now, this is not the picture of Jesus that we usually have. I'll put up a few pictures of Jesus that we usually have. We are all familiar with Jesus being the baby. That is part of who Jesus is. We are familiar with the fact that Jesus loved children. He met with children. He talked with children. He cared about children. We are all familiar with the stories that Jesus healed the sick, healed the lame, and the blind. We know all of that about Jesus. We are all familiar with the fact that Jesus was crucified on a cross. He died. We are all familiar with that part of the story. He's put into a tomb, and he comes back out of the tomb, and he has a resurrection and an ascension, and we know that part of the story. We know all about Jesus, but we don't have this part. We don't know Jesus as he's about to be described. When Jesus takes the scroll, there is a response in the room. 
the throne room of God. First of all, it's uh, from those that we've already met. Chapter 5, verse 8, the first part of the verse. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Imagine this. These 24 elders, whoever they are, these authorities in heaven, fall down on their face before who? Jesus. And these four living creatures, these amazing creatures that are around the throne, these strange beings, they fall down on their face before Jesus. And then we find something new from people we haven't heard from before. Chapter 5, verse 8 continues, Each one of the 24 had a harp, and they had golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of saints. They had some musical instruments, because something's about to happen in heaven that uh, we haven't seen quite yet. And they have this incense which contains the prayers of the saints. What saints? These people of God who've been suffering and persecuted for all the years, people that John knows, people that John has been praying for. We sit here comfortably today. We're not having any persecution in our life. And yet all around the world, there are believers in Jesus Christ who are going through all kinds of intense persecution. It was real to John, and he saw it as the prayers of the saints being brought to the throne room of God. And when he takes the scroll, they all sing a new song, verse 9, and they sang a new song. This is a song that hasn't been heard before. Nobody ever sang this song before. This is the song of what the Lamb has done. Verse 9 continues. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and people and every nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on this earth. We saw this idea of Jesus' work making us a kingdom, a people of God who follow him, and priests, those who stand in the gap between God and humanity. This is what Jesus has done from people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. I can only imagine what John would think if he looked at today at the church of the Lord Jesus Christ around the world. He would find it unbelievable, this great multitude of people. Now remember, John has been weeping. But when Jesus takes the scroll, his emotions must have reached a new level. I look at it as a, if John was a dancer, then he started dancing right about now. And if John was a jumper, he started jumping right about now. And if John was a guy that raised his hands over his head, man, they are way up in the air right about now. This is unbelievable to him. And this room, the throne room of God, erupts into worship. Nobody ever experienced this before. John never experienced this before. We've never experienced this before. This throne room erupts into worship. First, 
from those that we've met around the throne. Verse 11, Then I looked and I heard and around the throne the living creatures and the elders. Verse 14, And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Everybody around the throne is on their face before the Lamb of God, Jesus. And then there are some people in the throne room that we haven't met yet. Verse 11, There is the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. That's a fun Greek study to try to translate into how many that is. Most translators say this is 10,000 times 10,000. If you want to multiply that out, that's, I think, 100 million angels. Can you imagine that? I don't think John counted them. I'm not sure that John had to count them, but he heard what they were saying. Verse 12, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And that could be enough, but it's not enough. Then from every creature, verse 13, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. This time from everywhere. We don't even know. Maybe it's even the dead. I don't know where he hears this, but he hears it from every single creature. Maybe this is what Paul referred to in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow. And this is what they all say. Verse 13. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That's part of the new song. I think we're going to have to sing this in heaven. So we might as well get a little practice right now. Let's try it. To him who sits on the throne, back one up, Beth, and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. You want to try that one more time? To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. This is the revelation. Behold Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lord God Almighty. That's part of who Jesus is too. Now we could just end it there, but I just can't end it there. So just a couple of observations. Here's the first observation. Jesus is not of human design. Now, we would like to think that Jesus is of human design. Most of you know some of my sons are very good at designing fantasy worlds. This is one of their designed worlds. I've been around this designing world thing for a long time. Nobody is going to design who Jesus is. This is not the subject of human design. I meet people all the time who have their own design of Jesus. They say, 
he's a good man. They say he loves people. He's humble. He's gracious to all. All of that is true. But it's not enough. This is not enough for us to decide who and what Jesus is. This is about Jesus revealed. Here's the second observation. Jesus is not predictable. If you all watch this TV show, I don't care for this TV show, but I have watched it several times. Undercover Boss. Have you seen this TV show? You know what this is about? Okay, so some CEO or owner of some business uh, disguises himself or herself, and, and they go and they visit their employees, and they take a job with their employees, and usually they're really bad at the job. So the employees have to help them with the job, and in the course of meeting them, they learn about the employees and the struggles that the employees have. And at the end of the show, the CEO puts on his suit or puts on her suit and comes to see the employee and says, oh, well, remember me? Oh, my word. Oh, you're, the, my, you're my boss, and you came. And they always give them money, or they pay for their kids' schooling. They do something wonderful. We like the show. And we would like to predict Jesus that way, too. It's just going to be nice. Jesus is not predictable. You and I can't design him, and you and I cannot predict what Jesus will do. And here's the last one. I think Jesus, this whole concept, is beyond my comprehension. I don't understand all this. Years and years and years ago, I uh, ran into a film that, as a new pastor, I used to show this film. I, I think I wore it out, a 16-millimeter film called The Ant Keeper. It's a crazy story, but it, it's a good story. It's about a man who had ants, and he realized that the ants had some problems and difficulties, and they couldn't get along with each other, and they were struggling. And while he was the keeper of the ants, he, he thought the only way he could help them out, because they wouldn't listen to him, they couldn't communicate with him, he had to become an ant. Well, that's absurd. That is absurd. And it's just as incomprehensible that God would take on human form and live among us, the ants, and then die. But this is who Jesus is. And John is taken up into the heavens. And John sees the throne room. And he understands as best he can communicate it to us that this Jesus is the Lord God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And this Jesus will bring about the events on earth in the days to come at the end. Maybe we know him better this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it's miraculous to us because we can't give it any other definition. How you loved us enough to provide this for us we are not staggering through this world to die and go off into no existence. We are a purposeful people 
And we come and we bow before you as these elders in heaven and these four created creatures. And we thank you. We thank you for this Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, humble servant of God, lover of humanity. Thank you, Father, for this glimpse into the throne room and hear a hundred million angels decry. He and he alone is the worthy one. In his name, amen.